Oh, my God. 
Five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. West Wall on Friday night, his first time ever there. Strapped into his knapsack with his long and curly hair. He stood there for a while. Then broke out with a smile, motion overwhelming joy with tears. The men were dancing there, the heart so full of love. They sang such happy tunes to thank the one above for showing them the way, for giving them a day to rest, rejoice with peace of mind. To pray. Just one Shabbos and we'll all be free. Just one Shabbos, come and join with me. Let's sing and dance to the sky with our spirits so high. We'll show them all it's true. Let them come and join us too. Just one Shabbos and we'll more than that I am a bit confused I know I am a Jew I was bar mitzvah too but Shabbos in our home whoever knew he asked to join with us to understand and see he spent some time with us in total ecstasy next Shabbos came along his feelings grew so strong he first began to feel that he belonged just one Shabbos and we'll all be Song to join a sing along 
Hashem, ki niv halu atzo homoi, oi venav Shabbos, <laughs> 
J.M. in the A.M. Good morning. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos, here at the Nachum Siegel Network. It is a uh, Friday morning of Thanksgiving weekend. We are here, I am proud to say. A lot of people are off. A lot of people are uh, shopping. A lot of people are in stores all night long, frankly. (laughs) I don't know what's going on out there anymore. Um, But we are here on a Friday, November the 24th, day six in the month of Kislev. It's Erev Shabbos Parsha's Vayetze with candlelighting time at 4.11. 4.11 is candlelighting time on this Erev Shabbos in the New York area. This coming Wednesday is Chavtet November, the 29th of November. And, of course, the question is, why is Chavtet November an important day? Why is the 29th of November designated as such as Chavtet November? 
uh, as an important day in uh, modern Jewish history, and you have until, I guess, November 29th to answer that question, right? So you have a, you have a few days on that. We'll give you a couple of days on that. Uh, 35 degrees outside with sunshine and a high temperature of 53. Then tonight, clear in a low 41. Tomorrow, partly cloudy. The high Shabbos will be um, 57 degrees. Oh, it's going up to 57 tomorrow. Nice. Yeah, I'll take that. Why not? Uh, right now, um, 56 in Yerushalayim, 35 here in uh, New York City. As we say good morning at JM in the AM. There is a weekly update today. Malcolm Honline will join us at 7.40 this morning here at JM in the AM. Shlomo Simcha had Ritzay. You heard Tov Lahodos done by David Gabe. Avremo with Rifa Aini. Just one Shabbos, the classic for Mordechai Ben David. And, of course, Regesh. Modaani opening things up, and we say good morning. So Malcolm Holmline will join us at 7.40 Eastern Time. I think there are a couple other things we're exploring this morning, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I believe on the schedule today, let's see, where are we? Um, I believe on the schedule for today, we're going to have a discussion about Nefesh Benefesh, and we're also going to have an opportunity to revisit our incredible trip to Venice one year later. So that'll be coming up here at JM in the AM. By the way, I want to wish a mazel tov to our good friend Gershon Freistadt, the brilliant conductor and musician, is getting married today. In fact, I assume the wedding has already taken place in Israel. So mazel tov to Gershon Freistadt and his kala from all of us here at JM in the AM. That wedding took place uh, earlier today, I believe, or is happening as we speak. Mazel tov from all of us here at JM in the AM. Uh, yes, yeah, so we'll check in with Nefesh Benefesh. We will check in with uh, Venice one year later. Uh, Naomi Nachman's coming up at 9 o'clock with Eliezer Franklin of uh, Pella Poultry and Ronnie Weisberg of uh, Full and Free. And then that Erev Shabbos show with Mark Zamek, sponsored by our friends at Kedem, goes from 10 a.m. Eastern Time all the way until 3 p.m. Eastern Time, which is pretty amazing. And I thank Mark Zamek for that. So we have a lot to look forward to today as you hopefully have a little bit of extra time today and you're able to uh, pay more attention to the incredible network that we have and to just enjoy it all day long. Simple as that. More coming up. It's Erev Shabbos, everybody. Friday morning at JM in the AM. Love. 
Nissen da gibt's noch und noch. Farnuse zu bringen, oi Tate, wasche. Atug noch, atug, als a schwere Woche. Zum Gashmi ist Leben, wir lassen sich herum. Komm, was wir kennen, sich dem Mut im Kacken. Es kommt aber Schabes, alles stellt sich auf. Dicke Tische, wir können die Liften tappen. Lechut euch die Likras Kalo. Für Nahawai Schabos ne Kabelo. Lechut euch die Likras Kalo. Für Nahawai Schabos ne Kabelo. Schabes <laughs> Lecha, 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 
Closing out the hour. That's a little bit of Eitan Katz. Whole bunch of Lachad Odis. You heard Schlockrock from Eishabad in Liverpool. Zevi Kaufman had one. You saw Werdiger was in there. Yitzchak Biton off of Songs for Her Brother. Odi Shama was Derech Achim here at the JM and the AM. And I think that Lachad Odi was in there as well. That didn't make it into the playlist. I don't know why. But I believe they had that, if I am not mistaken. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Around the world on the web at NachumSiegel.com. On the NachumSiegel Network and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Friday morning on this era of Shabbos, Parshas Vayetze, candlelighting 411 in New York. Galei Tzal, Israel Army Radio News is next. Malcolm Honline, 40 minutes from now, our weekly update with the Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Galei Tzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday follows next. We say Boker Tov from JMN. Galei Tzal, פיגוע המוני במסגד במצרים, דיווחים על עשרות נפגעים במהלך תפילת יום השישי. כתבנו נתנאל דרשן. על פי דיווחים במצרים, חמושים פתחו בירי במסגד אראודה ממזרח לאלרי שבצפון סיני, ובשילוב פיצוץ של ארבע מכוניות תופת פגעו בעשרות מתפללים. על פי דיווח בסקאי ניוז בשפה הערבית נרצחו חמישים בני אדם לפחות, ובטלוויזיה המצרית מדווחים על יותר ממאה וחמישים נפגעים. שר המודיעין והתחבורה הישראל כץ גינה בטוויטר את הפיגוע וכתב האסלאם הקיצוני מכה ללא הבחנה ורוצח גם מוסלמים הגיע הזמן להקים חזית אזורית נגד הטרור השיעי של איראן ונגד הטרור הסוני של דאעש דרמה בממשלה, שר הבריאות יעקב ליצמן יתפטר מתפקידו בעקבות עבודות השבת ברכבת עם זאת סיעת יהדות התורה תישאר בקואליציה כתבנו מיכאל האוזר טוב השר ליצמן הודיע שיגיש את התפטרותו לראש הממשלה ביום ראשון הקרוב, זאת בעקבות ההחלטה לאפשר מספר עבודות דחופות במהלך סוף השבוע הזה. השר חיים כץ שאישר את העבודות טען כי ההחלטה משקפת התחשבות ברגשות הציבור הדתי מחד ושמירה על שגרת הנסיעות של משתמשי הרכבת מאידך. בסביבתו של ליצמן טוענים, עבודות השבת זו אחת הסיבות שבגללן לא רצינו לשבת בממשלה מלכתחילה, אבל כבלו את ידינו, ההשלכות הן שנפרוש מהממשלה, אך נמשיך לשבת בקואליציה. ואילו יושב ראש הקואליציה דוד ביטן אמר בשיחה עם גלי צהל, ההתפטרות מסבה נזק לממשלה. הוא הכניס את עצמו לפינה שלו במקום. כרגע הקואליציה לא, והממשלה לא צפויה ליפול, אבל זה מחליש אותה. חבל מאוד שהליכוד לא טיפל בזה לפני זה. אפשר למצוא פתרון לבעיה שיצרן מעלה, בלי לפגוע בציבור האנושיים. זה מחליש אותנו בהתמודדות מול החרדים. לגבי יתר הבעיות שיהיו בשבועיים הקרובים, העבודות המרכזיות ברכבת שהיו סלע המחלוקת יתקיימו כמתוכנן במהלך השבת. הסיבה, מהנדסים גרמנים הגיעו במיוחד מחו"ל לביצוע השדרוג. 
כתבנו גל חן. הפעילות המרכזית לשדרוג מערכת האיתות ברכבת תבוצע כמתוכנן, בין היתר לאחר שמהנדסים מגרמניה הגיעו לארץ במיוחד לבצע את העבודות. דחייה לטווח הקצר של העבודה הזאת לא הייתה מתאפשרת בגלל שהותם הקצרה של המהנדסים בישראל, כך שהאפשרות היחידה הייתה דחייה לעוד מספר חודשים. כאמור, כדי להימנע מתרחיש זה, העבודות יבוצעו כמתוכנן. רכב של תושב מטולן נפגע מקליע שככל הנראה נורא מלבנון. לא היו נפגעים ונזק קל נגרם לרכב. כתבנו גיא ורון מוסר כי פרטי האירוע נחקרים. מועדון הברקפסט בתל אביב נסגר. המשטרה פשטה הלילה על המועדון ומצאה בו סמים מסוג...
פשוט לשמוח, להתחבר למה שטוב, למה שיש, לצעוק בקול גדול, אסור להתייאש. הקצב מנהגי מרים לי את הלב, רוצה לקול חזק, בכל הכוח. אני רוצה לעוף לצעוק ולבקש, מזכיר לי שאומרים שבי בוערת אש, בי בוערת אש. בואו נרקוד, בואו נשמח, נרים עכשיו כוסית לחיים, ביחד חזק, שינו איתי, כי זה הזמן לרקוד ושמוח, בואו נרקוד,
J.M. in the A.M., it's uh, Michal Przansky, his Orary and Bo Near Code off the brand new album entitled Shooting for the Moon. Uri Davidi was in there with Malaya Denu and uh, Amra Madar Boi Kala to open up the 7 o'clock hour. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos on this Friday of Thanksgiving. Erev Shabbos Parshas Vayetze with candlelighting time at 4.11 in New York. 4.11, your official Candle lighting time in New York. We go to Israel where Rachel Berger is standing by. She's director of Post Aliyah with our friends at uh, Nefesh Benefesh. They have a very interesting event happening Monday night in Israel. And those of you who are tuned in from the Holy Land or those of you who are uh, friends with or related to those who live in the Holy Land, you may want to pass on this information. The Nefesh Benefesh Communities Fair happening in Jerusalem this coming Monday night. Rachel Berger, director of Post Aliyah with Nevish Benevish. Welcome back to JM in the AM. Nice to be here. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning. Nice to speak with you. We are so familiar, thank God, and we're going to speak next week again about the different fairs that take place in the New York area and other areas of North America uh, when it comes to people... Um, uh, choosing where to live, uh, deciding uh, where they want to go in Israel. Obviously, Nevesh Benevish comes here and um, it tells everybody the benefits of different communities, north, south, east, west, etc., etc. On Monday night at the Bayit Vegan Guest House in Jerusalem, NBN, Nevesh Benevish, is doing a communities fair in Israel where you're going to be discussing a whole bunch of different places where people who are in Israel already can consider moving to where did the or when I should say and how 
did the Nefesh Benefesh Communities Fair for Israel come about? So we were talking about this about May. People started to say to us, where can we buy? You know, Jerusalem is getting pretty pricey, and Renana's pricey, and I can talk about some of the different locations. And we said, you know what? It is a tiny country with a lot of opportunities. And uh, we started to investigate different locations, and uh, we saw that there really are um, a lot of places that are just lovely. I started to visit some of them, places where you could get a house, places where you could be part of a startup community or a garin type of community, um, and, and have a, a lovely experience both integrating within the Israeli, uh, you know, the larger Israeli communities and be among amongst uh, Anglos as well. And we said we have to share this information with our Olim. So we're going to be featuring over 30 uh, different places across the country, north, south, east, west, just like you said, whether it's uh, Lod Ramla or whether it's uh, Yerucham. And there are things people have to realize, like the country is really getting it together with uh, the traffic infrastructure, the um, transportation infrastructure. There are trains that are going everywhere and uh, buses and roads. And what it means is that the periphery is going to get closer to the center. Right. Well, Rachel, Rachel, speak to that for a second. Give me one example where it's really become easier to get to. Give me one city or area in Israel where it's really, over the last year or two, become much easier to get to because of public transportation and or the roadway infrastructure. So in people moving to Beersheba. People moving, you know, even to Yerucham. Yerucham to half an hour from Beersheba. The things that are going on in Beersheba in terms of employment and um, people who work in Tel Aviv from Yerucham. Uh, and it's not even one place. It's not even one place. You know, I went down south, and we had a nice little tour of Demona and Itivo. When I say those towns, people always think of, oh, my gosh, they're <laughs> so far away. Desert. And there were people in high tech who were living out there because they had a stunning view of the desert and they had these you know homes that oh my gosh you couldn't believe and um and they travel for for work or they make deals with the place where they work that they go in three days instead of five days but uh but the thing is really happening and it's like almost like i feel like i'm saying oh this is a secret you should know but if you're gonna buy by now and we wanted to share this uh information with our olim we're also going to have nine different classes about how to get your mortgage here legal benefits of buying what do you need to know when you're buying an apartment should you buy new on paper or should you buy secondhand? What are all the new things going on in real estate in Israel that's encouraging young couples uh, to buy? Haifa, for example, had the largest um, purchases over the last year of young couples uh, in the country. It went up, I think, by 5 or 10 percent because it's uh, an opportunity right now to buy a decent apartment in Haifa. And again, you can get wherever you need to go. You really can, and the trains are going, and the buses are going, and there's real effort by the government to connect all the dots uh, in order for people to have housing opportunities and really good life opportunities here. Rachel, so we thought to put it in a fair. Rachel Berger is with us, Director of Post Aliyah Nefesh Benefesh. The event is Monday night, in this coming Monday night, in Jerusalem at mm-hmm. the Bayit Vegan mm-hmm. Guest House at number 8, Rehov HaPiskah 
in Jerusalem. There's plenty of information on the website, nbn.org.il. Go to the events page uh, for November the 27th, nbn.org.il. All right, a couple of things. First of all, you mentioned to me off the air, uh, just to drive this point home even further, um, that every area you've mentioned, every area one explores now in Israel within reason, certainly the entire list that you're touting, um, every one of those areas has malls, has you know ma- major shopping centers, every type of restaurant you can imagine, all the conveniences, and most of them within a relatively short drive. And this is this is something that, again, aside from people who, you know, when they hear Bear Chevron and Tivot, they're thinking desert and they don't know what's going on in 2017. This, I think, is another development people don't realize now in 2017 that almost every corner of Israel has everything you need to live there with great comfort. A hundred percent. I call this latte aliyah. <laughs> really, how would you like your latte? You want a little extra strong? You want it weak? You want foamy? We'll make it exactly like you love like it you know starbucks for alia you can get anything anywhere and um and it's just like i said it's an opportunity to explore it and look at it from different eyes because sometimes people don't explore and look and i've been fortunate to work for nefesh benefesh and we take these tours we go and visit these places and every single time i come home i say to my husband oh there's so many places to live how can we live in only one place you know, <laughs> it would be it, it would be nice. It would buy nice. It would be nice to try out multiple places in Israel. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. No, I get it's, that because it's really unbelievable what's out there. Yeah, I get that. So let me ask you a question: When when Israel was going through, and maybe they still are, all the protests, you know, about housing and the the prices of housing, that, that essentially, I assume, was addressing housing prices within the major metropolitan areas. And in reality, if one does explore, as you've been describing. They could find good housing at good prices, but I assume at those protests, etc., were, were simply aimed at the at the really congested areas of Israel. Does that make sense? So I think it's more complicated than that. Like if I think about you know the eighties, the nineties, two thousand, and now you know two thousand teens, um, prices have really gone up. And if you compare it, and it's not fair to compare it to the United States because uh, the United States is huge right. and Israel is tiny. Um, you know, there's, there is a, a thing about affordable and unaffordable, and there are still places in Israel where it is affordable to buy. And if you say affordable, it could be in the range of $200,000, right. you know, but people might say to you, $200,000, you live in the New York area. So you're saying to me, okay, you know, obviously, right. duh, right. like that's not gonna, you know, get out of get your half a house somewhere, maybe, but, um, but I, I still think I think it's complicated. I think people would like the housing to uh, to be cheaper in the way it was, maybe even you know 2007, 2005. But that's not reality for real estate ever. Uh, I think what we're doing is featuring affordable options, and I think that that's an important thing. You know, in other words, to show people that this can be done, you can do it, and it's not only for a certain economic level; it's for anybody that wants it. We're used to NBN, Nefesh Benefesh Community Fairs all over the U.S. and other areas of, uh, and, and of course, Canada, all areas of North America. And now, this one, Monday night, is happening in Israel itself, where Nefesh Benefesh and its representatives will be in Bayat Vigan starting at 5.30 p.m. this coming Monday night, November the 27th, at the Bayat Vigan Guest House 
on Rehov HaPiskah. They will be there uh, to describe different communities all over Israel, north, south, east, and west, where people can consider moving, uh, where opportunities are probably not aware of. They're also going to address all the different topics, top 10 things you need to know about buying a home, financing the home. Uh, if you're interested in uh, where the Anglos are living and where they're heading now, they'll address those issues, legal elements of buying a home, all of these as you can imagine, because Nefesh Benefesh covers all the bases when they do a fair like this, will be addressed on Monday night. Information about all of this, if you're in Israel and or if you are uh, if you know somebody, a friend, a relative in Israel who would benefit from this community's fair, Monday night, 5.30 p.m. at the Bayad Vigan Guest House. Information, nbn.org.il, nbn.org.il. You go to their events page. Rachel Berger is director of Postalia. Rachel Tadaraba, looks like it's going to be a Thank really Thank you so much. Looks like it'll be a really nice event this coming Monday. Yeah, and we're really looking forward. We're very excited. Thank you. Thank you. Tadaraba, Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Friday morning broadcast, plenty more coming up. You're listening to JM in the AM.
Mizrich, mizrich, mare, mare. Le malo, le matto, le malo, le matto, durum, durum. Toffen, toffen. Le malo, le matto, le malo, le matto. Mizrich, mizrich, mare, mare. Le malo, le matto, le malo, le matto, durum, durum. Toffen, toffen. Le malo, le matto, le malo, le matto. Ich 
Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, JM in the AM, Lipo with Mizrach. I played that for a specific person out there. I shouldn't say that. That's not true. I, I played it for a specific group of people um, here on a Friday morning. Hope they uh, hope they got it. Uh, Zevi Weinstock, Ari Zucker together with Shir Shel Shevach. You heard Anna Mekoch done by the Kinderloch and Mordechai Shapiro with Lacha off of the Machar album. Mordechai Shapiro announced already for the um, uh, uh, Pesach program that Doug Sokloff, our good friend Dougie, is uh, hosting out in Las Vegas this coming um, uh, this coming March for well March thirty first is the seder uh, for Pesach. So we say uh, congratulations to him as that program continues to build. Wishing them the best of luck out there. Friday morning on this twenty fourth of November, the sixth of Kislev, it's Erev Shabbos Parshas Vayetze with candle lighting at four eleven in New York. Four eleven. Wednesday is Chavtet in November. What does that mean? You have till Wednesday to find out. That's when my quiz begins early Wednesday morning. Uh, I want to thank our friends at JewishWorldReview.com who continue to enthusiastically recommend us uh, as audio pleasure and information for their hundreds of thousands of readers. You should be one of them. Make sure to register or whatever you need to do at JewishWorldReview.com and have access to thousands of articles that you can print out before Shabbos. And if you're able to read thousands of articles in a short Shabbos, I admire you. Um, so go for that and enjoy. And, of course, our friends at OnlySimchas.com who continue to enthusiastically utilize our content as part of their Unique Jewish news feed that continues to enthrall the Jewish world. They've already enthralled us over the years with all the great Simcha news. Now uh, they enthrall us with an interesting news feed with great stories from around the Jewish world as well. Check out OnlySimchas.com and do it every single day. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us for the weekly update here. On a Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Will we be seeing you later today at the Homowak Hotel? It could be. <laughs> you remember <laughs> You remember Thanksgiving at the Homowak? Absolutely. Just, remin- just reminiscing for a moment <laughs> as we kick things off, Mr. Honline. Those were the days, as they say. Um, well, some American Jews may say those were the days when American Jews had tremendous influence on what was going on in Israel. Until they met uh, Tzipi Chotavelli, uh, she had an opinion this week which certainly went viral and which she had to apologize for about uh, recommending that um, uh, that people who live outside of Israel, let's put it this way, I'll sum it up in a friendly fashion, have a limited role in uh, in um, and a limited say in terms of what's going on in Israel. Now, this is an issue you and I have discussed at length over the years. You piece all these uh these sessions together, and we've got one long conversation about this issue. What did you think? What was your reaction uh, to her remarks? Well, it certainly was surprising. She did an, an interview on television, and the, the the danger in her remarks was reflected in the fact that the Stormtrooper uh, website, the neo-Nazi websites, picked up on it right away because what she said uh, is that American Jews don't serve in the Israeli army, which is true, and uh, does limit the you know the rights to, uh, in some respects, not to speak out and to say what they believe. But uh, we have to respect the fact that Israelis live in a democratic society, have a right to make determinations of their own. That I agree with, but not the emphasis she put. First of all, American Jews who have come since the Machal to fight in Israel and fight for Israel, all of the other contributions and the involvements of American Jews. Uh, but her site, but her comments were picked up, and of course they said that here's evidence that American Jews don't 
uh, fight. They don't fight in our wars. And she made references to Afghanistan and uh, uh, Iraq, which was is completely uh, out of place. And the discussion itself, the the questioner who pressed her very hard, and she's articulate in in uh, and sharp in her answers, um, said th- that. The incident she had that sparked this discussion uh, was an invitation to her to speak at a Hillel, and it was rescinded under pressure, uh, for which the Hillel director, the local Hillel director, issued a very strong apology and said it wouldn't happen again. And National Hillel joined it and uh, said that's not their policy. They they, uh, uh, did a public apology to to Hantavelli. Uh, and instead of of limiting it and showing that it was a mistake on the part of an individual and in, in a particular campus, um, now it was universalized to say that all of Hillel and all of the, the people are, are were behind it, and that is just untrue. Right. And that was on the part of the, the questioners, not. And then she did not respond to that, but rather picked up on this thing which she has spoken about a lot that this uh, speaking engagement was canceled. Um, as evidence of the problems we, the, the legitimate problems we're having on campus, but now yeah. put it into this context mm-hmm. of what appears to be a degradation of the relationship with the American Jewry, and it comes at a time when, of course, there are many frictions uh, ongoing, and so this became just fuel for the fire. Yeah, I don't know her well enough to discuss her disposition, but I'm sure that that uh, cancellation certainly. Did not sit well with her, that's for sure. The two, the two pieces that we have in front of us in terms of the quote, uh, they, quote, never send their children to fight for their country, and, quote, most of them are having quite convenient lives, obviously referring to Jews in the United States. Now, it's interesting because as you and I have discussed this over the years, and I know that uh, you advise Jewish leaders of organizations to be very careful about these issues, about addressing things that are going on in Israel, uh, you generally have told us that universally you believe that every Jew on earth has a right to be outspoken about Jerusalem, right? That's one thing you've always said when it comes to the issue of Jerusalem, that everybody, no matter where they live, right. has a right to um, uh, to say something and have their opinion known. Uh, when it comes to other issues, however, even with the, thank God, large population of Chayalim and Chayalot who are from outside of Israel who are serving in the IDF, it becomes a much more cloudy picture. One would have to admit that, Correct. Right, and it's not even contingent on those things. I think people have to realize that words have consequence. And because American Jewry matters and, and is seen by the rest of the world as a critical element in the support structure for Israel, if they perceive these fissures, if they, if they rightly or wrongly, but certainly if they get an exaggerated view of it, then that diminishes to, to the, the um, deterrent value and the uh, impact that American Jewish involvement and clout would have. That's that's one aspect of it. Two, you, you sow further seeds at a time when so many young people are distancing themselves. Why add to that? Yeah. And and we have to think of the consequences of a word. You know, wise people have to be careful, we're told by Chazal, with what we say. And it's because words matter and, and words can kill. Right. You okay. know, we say life and death can hang on, on the tongue and what you say. You can destroy a person individually. You can destroy, do great damage to the relationship. So it isn't a question of free speech. It's a question of, of being smart and intelligent about what you say. And, you know, people are already attacking her because she didn't serve. She's religious and she right. did national service, right. which is a form of um, service and gave the time. But 
you know, then this all adds up, then becomes very political, and everything is so charged in Israel, politically normally, but especially now. Right, but, but okay, so one then, then one last piece to this. To speak about it being charged, there has been, uh, there's certainly been some tension between American Jewish leadership and the Israeli administration over the last few months. We know that they are not always happy with the way certain issues have been handled. Uh, you just said American Jewry matters. Uh, is it possible that American Jewish leaders, that a good number of them, are fearful at this point that maybe American Jewry does not matter as much as it used to, and that we're in a new era now, just like we're in a new era in terms of the way the world views Israel? In 2017, we're in a new era in uh, in terms of Israeli independence after 70 years, independence from you know from help from diaspora Jewry. So is it possible that in addition to the insult that she's responsible for toward American, you know, to the American Jewish community, is it possible that American Jewish leader, leaders are somewhat skeptical and somewhat paranoid that their influence is waning? Look, all relationships evolve, and Israel is going stronger, more independent, has broader relationships, but still, in every uh, study done, presentations to the cabinet, the assessments of the national security uh, they acknowledge the importance of the role. Second, I wouldn't say that all American leaders, I think we shouldn't uh, generalize it. There have been tensions with segments of the community, right. important segments there are, um, uh, and and those things also become magnified. And the media loves to show the man bites dog that, that when American Jews criticize or feel alienated or in conflict situations with the governments of Israel or elements of the government, then that becomes, um, you know, great media and great uh, coverage. All the good things, all the positive relationships do not get that kind of uh, notice and, and, and context. But I think, you know, the prime minister's quick response and reaffirmation is an indication, and the the fact that we have every week here ministers, we still have, I think, in in many regards, the the strong relationship. It has matured. Israel has matured. It's not Israel of 1948 or 1968. It's 67. Uh, it's Israel of the 21st century. Is Tzipi Chotavelli still on your invite list? She spoke to the conference just about a month ago or so, so she would not be on our invite list now. Yeah, but that was pre her shot at American <laughs> jury leadership. Well, I think that would raise a lot of questions about it. Oh, you're serious right now? Wow, interesting. All right, she be- she better take a couple of months off of any journeys to America. It sounds like. Um, uh, you know, one of the things we did not address last week, and it got a couple of people upset, is because we had not been on in discussion on the air the prior week, and the three millionth tourist had arrived in Israel. I'm sure you've seen the video of the Prime Minister's encounter with her, right? Yes. That was a lot, that was a lot of fun, no? It was a lot of fun. It was uh, uh, These visitors were treated royally, taken uh, to... Uh, the Prime Minister gave them a tour, but the uh, mayor of Jerusalem, others, I mean, they lucked into a very nice situation. I think they were Romanian. And um, t- tourism is really uh, quite remarkable, that this year, for the first time, they went over uh, three million. And I also noticed yesterday that the, um, the prediction of a hundred thousand Chinese tourists will be reached and surpassed this year, and that by within the next year or two years, it'll reach two hundred thousand annually. Mm, unbelievable. 
If MK Litzman uh, continues to uh, threaten and eventually does leave the government, will it weaken the now government considerably? Of course, it's a very tenuous situation because the you know of the investigations, because of uh, the length of his term, because of so many reasons that uh, people are speculating already and have been about the elections, which are not due for, at least the campaigns wouldn't begin for another year. So perhaps it's just an early start, but the loss of the religious parties, his balance is very thin. And, um, you know, if some smell blood, though nobody has yet come up with who would replace him, Likud would still be the strongest party, though likely much smaller than what it is. And an alliance of let's say Lapid and Gabay or some other combination could pose a serious challenge to as to who would form the next government. Oh, and before I get to the top of the hour, um, uh, it's fair that I give everybody until uh, until Wednesday to uh, come up with the answer of why the 29th of November is a significant date in modern Jewish history. You'd say that's a fair approach, correct? Well, not for those who are participating in the programs on uh, Tuesday, Vice President Pence being one of them. Wow. And on uh, during this whole week, we have about 22 maybe meetings with uh, the U.N. ambassadors of countries that participated on November 29th, 1947. Unbelievable. In a very important action, and because you're not telling, I won't tell, <laughs> but uh, we are presenting them all with a recognition to including Russia, France, others who have answered that they would welcome the meeting um, to remind them of what happened then, of the history, of the distortion of history that we see so often today, and that um, it, it acknowledges the fact that they were supportive, but also reminds them of their responsibilities today. And I was going to express sadness that I'm not invited to any of these events. And then you go ahead and you, you have my back on this whole thing. So what am I going to do? Everybody has until Wednesday to come up with the answer of why Chavtet in November, the 29th of November, is a significant date in modern Jewish history. And we suggest, as Malcolm has said many, many times, utilize the long Friday night meal during this November of 2017 to tell your children and grandchildren about that amazing and incredible historic day. This is America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NahumSiegel.com on the NahumSiegel Network and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Do you think there'll be new elections in Germany soon? Right now, they're stalemated. I think uh, it's a distinct possibility. People are tired. I think the German people don't want to go through another election, but because the other one was indecisive and they can't, Merkel can't seem to form a government yet, uh, they, 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 they are turning to the opposition to give them a chance uh, to see if they can form a, a government, or she could go with a minority government. So I think elections are probably the last resort, not something anybody really wants to go through voluntarily. Yeah, I get that. Uh, why is it so significant that the U.S. wants um, the PLO office in uh, in Washington to stay open? Why would they? Why does the State Department care if it stays open? Because it's a point of communication. It's. A, I mean, I don't know why. I mean, that's the reasoning I would ascribe uh, to it. And because the other side has threatened to do all sorts of things, yet the, the other side, meaning Fatah in this case itself, is going against American policy and and agreements the, that they are saying they're going to go to the International Criminal Court, even though the Secretary of State has warned them of the consequence. 
And in this case, you know, they may not have a choice but to close it. And the um, and in so many other areas where they are in complete violation of of the uh, understandings, and and you see how. Um, uh, there was a recently a big shipment of explosives that was uncovered going into the Gaza Strip, and this was uh, by these new technologies that Israel has, where they check what goes in, and you know there's a huge number of trucks every day that deliver goods to the. Um, oh, meaning without even opening up the truck, they could figure out what's in there. Right, and then wow. this is—they cool. have an innovative laboratory that was set up at the crossing where wow. they can test for suspicious materials, and they stopped the truck that had a cargo of, uh, that was supposed to be motor oil, and when they took the samples of the oil, they discovered that the truck was actually hauling materials to be used in large-scale production of explosives. So, I mean, they are constantly in violation. They're constantly uh, testing and and and. Uh, you know, pushing the envelope for which they too often do not pay uh, a price, not just they, but uh, many others as well. And uh, we saw now the release of the, the person responsible for the attack in Mumbai by the Pakistani government. And, of course, they ruled that they didn't have you know, sufficient uh, uh, evidence or to, sufficient material to, to, uh, to prosecute, to, to, to hold him. Nine years ago this week. Nine years ago, exactly what I was going to say, right? Um, so now they have scientists that are required to be employed on the uh, at the cross at the what do you got the checkpoints, right? <laughs> Technicians. I mean, say. it's unbelievable. The, the expertise is simply remarkable. And what about the guy they captured that um, and the the twenty three year old uh, who apparently <laughs> apparently. Um, um, uh, revealed uh, you know, he spilled he spilled the beans to say the least about all the different operations that are going on along the Gaza border through all these tunnels. Well, Israel has dete- detected a lot of the activities because of the new technologies that are in place. But human intelligence, and that is one of the arg- is still critical, and that's one of the arguments why people are when they demand the withdrawal of Israeli troops and right. they say, "Well, you have technology now. The best technology is to be on the ground. The best uh, advantage, military advantage, is to have personnel there to have human intelligence uh, and to see." Uh, what is happening. And it's especially important when you have now the coordination between Hezbollah and Hamas. We see that increasing. Um, they, they, uh, Hamas is, you know, is talking about still turning over civilian control of Gaza to the PA, but not giving up its military power. So essentially it would be free to invest whatever resources it has in uh, a larger military force. And to, they're using Hezbollah as the model, but Clearly, the fact that they've opened this office and uh, taken up permanent residence there for some of the key people, the, the deputy head of the uh, so-called political bureau is is amongst them. Um, and as you know, Hezbollah is Iran. Iran is Hezbollah. So yeah. that this is uh, is not something that can be can be dismissed. Whenever Israel wants to demolish a uh, a terrorist home, we're under the impression, at least you know. The casual news observer is that they're able to do so. Is the does the high court stand between Israel and the effort to demolish these homes the majority of the time? Sure, the majority of the time. Well, I didn't. I, uh, no, no, I'm not saying the majority. In every case, virtually, I think they have to get permission uh, to demolish. 
and uh, there are set rules, you know, with in terms of terrorists. And you're not talking about just random uh, right. de- demolition. You're talking about when they when this is in response to a, a murder and attack. Correct. That's very really uh, clear. And about it's a, and and it is a, a a deterrent. We know that it is a deterrent, and that's one of the reasons why we're the anger about the PA coming in and saying and rebuilding the houses or providing money for new housing or, or other things, which. Uh, uh, undermines the deterrent effect and shows that they're not really willing to join uh, fully in the in fighting terrorism and and uh, as trying to stop it by the deterrent value of arrest of of demolition of fines. Uh, you know that there was a court order against the PA that uh, that they have to pay seventeen million dollars for the two thousand and one uh, attacks on the Jerusalem Modin Highway right. uh, and others, and yet. And these remain unpaid. They do, do not honor these uh, judgments. Um, and so courts, hopefully against them and against their sponsors, meaning Iran and, and others, will be continue to be pressed uh, to pay and to, to hold them accountable for what they failed to, to live up to their responsibilities in preventing these things. It's the, their obligation to prevent. It's not just that they didn't do it, that they can say, and, and our media too often you know, exonerates them from from uh, uh, responsibility, and the the uh, demand now to disarm Hamas and and a recognition of Israel as a condition, which the United States has said as well, um, is really important. Taylor Force no different than two weeks ago, right? It went through committee, passed unanimously, and now it's it's still waiting. Correct? Waiting, right? Uh, and the Jer- and, and the Greater Jerusalem Bill also uh, off the table in Israel right now. At the at the moment, it's, yeah, I think it's uh, it's not going to go for any final hearing re- readings at at this time, as far as I can see. And the U.S. essential, and it's out because the U.S. Is, they felt the U.S. essentially just didn't like the whole language of it, right? Right. It's funny. Well, U.S. and others didn't like it, uh, and it's uh, you know the question is whether when you set priorities, uh, and I think for the sponsors this was true too. You know. You, you, an unnecessary point of tension at this moment mm. when we have so many things. I think they just feel it's not because of the right or wrong of the measure. I mean, right. for so you think at the right t- should at be, the right time it would have floated a lot more easily than uh, now, right? Yes, I mean I think at other times it might fly, and I think in the future it might right. it might be uh, acceptable. Um, within the right context, like moving the embassy, you got to do it at the right time and and in the right way to get it accomplished. Yeah. You saw this thirty-one-year-old Israeli who visited all these holy sites across the Muslim world. Was that that I assume was simply a stunt? Correct. Now, it I'm, certainly appears as a stunt and and not a smart one. Caused a lot of reaction because he had Hebrew letters on his. Uh, he dressed as an Arab and went to the their most sacred sites where. Uh, people are barred from the non-Muslims are barred in uh, Mecca, Medina. So you're not questioning his right; you're questioning his smarts. Uh, maybe his sanity too. <laughs> <Right. laughs> not a, not did, a very did he, good thing. Did he get back? There. Do we know if he got back to Israel? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> maybe he didn't post the pictures till he actually got back to Israel. That would have been smart, frankly. I'm not sure. Uh, wait, but I'm sure he didn't post it till he was out. Yeah, I guess so. Um, it caused a lot of insult and and. I mean, again, an, an, an unnecessary incident. Yeah, I understand that. All right, uh, 40 years since Anwar Sadat reached out to uh, Menachem Begin. Um, what do you think 40 years later in terms of the context of history and whether, in fact, uh, Israel was smart, Begin as the leader, to respond the way he did to Sadat's gesture? 
I think history has certainly vindicated the decision uh, that the Egyptian-Israeli agreement has held. I don't think many people at the time really believed that it would be sustained as long as it has. And it's critical, and especially in in past years when Israel was very much alone and much more vulnerable, uh, when before Syria was you know locked in its own internal war, which now again, poses threats to Israel, and we see shooting across the border, etc. But uh, the fact that the Egyptian border is a quiet one, and that Egypt and Israel are working together, uh, and the same with Jordan, despite all the tensions and periodic incidents or whatever uh, that occur. But uh, with Egypt now, it is way beyond, and, and President Sisi said to me once that if uh, when Sadat came to Israel, would you have believed then that Egyptian warplanes would be able to fly over the Sinai and over Israel's border with Egypt without any escort, and no one had to worry about a stray bullet? Mm. And and that is true. That today they cooperate. They cooperate about the terrorism in Sinai, about what goes on in Gaza, and uh, you know it's still a cold peace. It's not all we would want it to be, and and we want to see more peace of the people, but the uh, the significance of it is certainly sustained today. Could the agreement have been made without a land giveaway? I doubt it. I think there's no evidence that that, that could have happened. That and, and they gave up not just land, but strategic depth and airfields and oil. Yep. Uh, that would have been sufficient at that time for Israel's uh, needs. But today, you see that Israel has been rewarded by finding far greater quantities off coast, off the coast of Israel. Perhaps they would not be have been so incentivized to explore and to to look for the uh, uh, gas that, that that they found these vast quantities of gas. Interesting, very positive point of view on that. And one. and it will be very important because this gas gas can go to the LNG uh, liquefied natural gas facility that Egypt has built. Egypt itself needs vast amounts of uh, energy, as does Jordan. So Israel has could have two uh, potential clients, and of course the talking about building pipelines to Europe, to various locations, to Greece, Turkey, um, and working together with Cyprus, which itself has uh, a large reserves in its territorial waters. Wow. You're way too positive today. You must be thinking about those uh, great Thanksgiving weekends at the Homowak. Uh Malcolm, <laughs> when, when you get together with your grandchildren for to learn the ABCs, does P stand for Palestine? And not that I recall. <laughs> What do you think of this? I mean, we always talk about, you know, you always mention about local issues, etc. But this has become a pretty big local issue that this ABC book has been released. And in fact, the P does stand for Palestine. Is this uh, simply uh, uh, nothing more than, um, uh, than uh, uh, you know, trying to um, create a political position, uh, in, you know, in a very innocent venue? As you know, for me, this is a, a very vital issue, and I spoke about it last Shabbos at the at the Arts Girl Weekend. I mean, our kids don't know, and many many people came up to me afterwards and said to me that they agree that they they were shocked by how little their children uh, know, and how many of them have spent the time after I raised it in other occasions to really sit down and talk to the kids. It, you know, you could put P for Palestine if you tell them this is what Israel was called before 1948, right. and that it was named as such because they tried to de-Judaize de uh, what was then called Judea, and to, to give it the name Philistina for the Philistines who, who lived in the area, in the region. Um, and the, 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 
the acceptance of it, 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 it the fact that that the boost would become a natural expression or, or or inclusion in the book tells us that we have to do uh, much more and and you see in the media people talk very blithely and and uh, of the state of Palestine and this all has has implications and ramifications but the biggest thing is that we have no counter books that tell the other story for children and and tell the real story of of Israel's history of the Middle East of uh, who was there when we have nothing that children of of all ages you know we now have birthright for kids we have uh, facilities on on campuses to to uh, and resource material but by the time they get to campus it's too late you got to inoculate them when they're in high schools and and it doesn't matter where on the spectrum you are your kids will be doubting your kids won't believe if that's what you want to see the outcome then just continue in this way and it's not a political issue, and it's not a question of whether you say Eretz Israel or Medina Israel. Tell them the history of the Jewish people, our rights, our claims, so that they will have the confidence and, and not fall victim to all of these lies and distortions. Oh, I think it does make a difference, Eretz Israel, Medina Israel. We don't have to argue about that now. But No, I'm you... saying that, that, that well, I meant on the spectrum that everybody, every yeshiva, everybody has an obligation. Right. To, to educate about it. Oh, I agree with that. But, and you chose an interesting venue to make this point because I think we need, I mean, I, just reiterating what you said, we need more and more books for the youth and for young adults and for teenagers on these issues uh, that address them and that, you know, give a clear position so that they understand exactly what the history is all about. Right. So um, let's get to it, everybody. Everybody out there who's in the world of publishing, uh, uh, you know, let's consider projects that would, in fact, uh, bring that to the fore and would help uh, our, our children understand the real situation in Israel um, as best as possible. That would be a tremendous service to the Jewish world, I can tell you that much. Um, and I, and I and an Iran update as we continue to uh, watch what's happening in Syria and uh, as we see the Saudi leader compare the leader of Iran to Hitler. What could you tell us about uh, the latest regarding Iran at this moment? Well, there's an awful lot to, to tell because Iran is expanding its aggressive behavior. We see them uh, moving further in terms of consolidating their position in Syria and in Iraq. And in Syria, where there is an uh, American void, you have this process where the leaders of Iran, Turkey, and Russia meet and talk about what the future of Syria will be. And Abbas was in Russia the day before, and the day before that, the three foreign ministers met said they reached agreement on all the key issues. There's something missing in that equation, as I notice it. And Iran is taking advantage of that. America said they will remain in, in Syria, present military presence there. But we have to be much more aggressive because the outcome uh, is getting more and more clear where Iran is establishing the crescent and the transnational highway, and it's increasing its presence to be within kilometers of the Israeli uh, border and creating a presence there, which is one of its goals, and its ability to provide weapons and manpower and support by road from Tehran through Iraq, through Syria, through, to, through Lebanon. Um, they will consolidate this, their position as they also move for a second crescent uh, of, to spread Shiite Islam through uh, Yemen and, and uh, Bahrain and other countries. Um, the the uh, head of the Iran Revolutionary Guard yesterday said that any new war will lead to Israel's eradication, and they are 
getting more and more sophisticated weapons in in um, Lebanon for Hezbollah is is uh, and, and also for Hamas in in uh, uh, Gaza but to a lesser degree Hezbollah having a hundred and thousand plus missiles uh, uh, facing Israel so the the activities that Iran is engaged in and and there's so many uh, fronts that, to talk about it, and, it, and it, sometimes it just gets no coverage, which is um, uh, really distu- disturbing. And when you see the the Europeans trading, it's up 107 percent so far this year over last year. The, the um, exports uh, from the uh, to the EU uh, uh, from the EU to Iran, and uh, the increasing trade both ways actually. And this, uh, the fact that the U.S. seems to be marginalized in the, in this discussion, and the um, uh, the other developments across the region, where Iran is is taking a more aggressive role, the Arab League issued a very strong blast at them, and they hit back equally. So you see that there is a, an anti-Iran coalition with Saudi Arabia, UAE, Egypt, others. But they're not getting the support, and and Iran is taking advantage of the developments in Saudi Arabia, disruptions within Saudi Arabia and elsewhere, to continue to expand their activities, both to undermine the region, the countries in the region, and to spread their hegemony and and consolidate their position. As aggressive as they were last week, that's for sure. And finally, as the... um As the uh, United States administration, um, well, I shouldn't say it that way, as some in the Jewish community also question whether rabbinic leaders should be visiting Qatar at this time or not. Is there a definitive decision by the U.S. if they are going to be considered, meaning Qatar's administration, sponsors of terrorism or trustworthy partners in the war against terror? No, there's uh, been no decision. And the fact is that almost all the countries there uh, are in one way or another been accused of supporting terrorism or providing funding, whether for Wahhabi, Muslim Brotherhood, others, whether it's governments or individuals. And um, uh, so, no, but the the, um, uh, the there are many who argue that we have to keep the ties open to, to all countries in order to, to affect things. They, hopefully, we pressure has been brought on Qatar to, to help because of its relationship with Hamas, which has diminished, uh, but to get the information on the MIAs and to um, stop the the uh, anti-Semitic content in the Dahl Book Fair, which also goes to the Frankfurt Book Fair, where massive numbers of people come, and they seem to move in that direction. Do they sell peas for Palestine at that fair? <laughs> I'm sure it'll find its way there. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> All right, uh, Malcolm, enjoy your Thanksgiving weekend. I apologize that we were not able to make arrangements to go up to the Humwack for all of us to enjoy some uh, multiple main dishes tonight. But no matter where you are, I hope it's a wonderful Shabbos and a great weekend. You too. Have a great Shabbos. <laughs> I don't know if he likes when I, when I reminisce or he doesn't like when I reminisce. Malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Friday mornings for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. And by the way, special treat for us today, Rabbi Yudin, of course, always a special treat. But today, and whenever he's in Israel, it's extra special. Uh, it is less than one hour, less than one hour before candlelighting in the Holy Land. And that is when, 
uh, Rabbi Yudin will be addressing us regarding Parshas Vayetze, which is pretty cool. Uh, J.M. the M for a Friday morning on this Erev Shabbos Parshas Vayetze. Candle lighting here at 4.11 later today. Wednesday is the 29th of November. Why is it significant? Make sure you know before you get to Wednesday why it's a significant date in modern Jewish history. 35 degrees, sunshine, a high 53. Tomorrow, the high 57. Um, Matis hosts JM Sunday this coming Sunday starting at 7 a.m. Eastern Time Live here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Uh, Rummy tomorrow night, of course, with Saturday Night Siegel. Make sure to be tuned in. We're back Monday. And don't forget, right after JM in the AM this morning, Naomi Nachman with a brand new edition of a, of a Table for Two. Eliezer Franklin of Pella Poultry and Rory Weisberg of Full and Free will both join Naomi on Table for Two. And then right after that, It'll be Mark Zomik with a five-hour Erev Shabbos show extravaganza sponsored by our wonderful friends at Kedem. That goes from 10 a.m. Eastern time until 3 o'clock. Um, nowhere else can you find this type of amazing Erev Shabbos music. And I thank Mark Zomik for hosting. It'll go from 10 until 3 Eastern time presented by Kedem. And today, a lot of people are more relaxed. A lot of, a lot of people have the day off today compared to a typical Friday. So utilize our incredible network as a wonderful soundtrack on this Erev Shabbos. This time each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Today, as I said, we have the honor of hearing Rabbi Yudin's words coming from the Holy Land. He is in Israel. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Well, good morning to you and good afternoon here calling from Ramat Beit Shemesh. What a schuz. They always say this, but I'm always marveling at it. We have Shabbos in the States and all over the world. But Eretz Yisrael not only has Shabbos, Eretz Yisrael has Erev Shabbos. You feel it, you see it, you sense it. And I want to tell you, come and feel it and sense it for yourself. Okay, a very special Pasha this week, Pasha Zayetze. And let me just begin by saying that in this week's Pasha, you have number one, Beit Eil, where Yaakov's incredible dream takes place of the ladder, Mutzav Arzo, but it's based on the ground, the Rosho Magia Shemayim, and the head the ladder is upward, and this is taking place, we're told, at Base Ale. Today in Base Ale, there are Buriyayin Hara, over 6,000 Jews living in Base Ale. There is a large yeshiva in Base Ale. The Arut Sheva <coughs> comes out of Base Ale. So, Baruch Hashem, very much alive and kicking. But more than that, just before we get to a makshava on the parsha, just be aware that you have as a background to the parsha the concept of fertility. In the sense that HaKadosh Baruch Hu promises Yaakov, Yifalatsa, Yama, and not only that, in this week's parsha, Yaakov and his four wives, um, Yaakov's father's 11 sons, and one daughter, and with his flock, in order to amass the um, fortune that he does without 
ostensibly taking anything, and in reality, not taking anything from Lavan. Kaddish Baruch Hu teaches him the scientific as well as miraculous knowledge that he's able to generate as he conditioned with Lavan, speckled, spotted, brown, all kinds of uh, genetic manipulation which Yaakov was able to do, and we see him being a master at fertility. Am Yisrael, <laughs> Eretz Yisrael, is at the forefront of IVF in vitro, in vitro fertilization, whereby you should know that last year over 37,000 IVF cases were carried out, and over a third of them were successful. Most important to note, number one, unlike back in the States where the individual has to fund it privately, here the state of Israel funds the in vitro till the age of 45. And as a result of that, so many, uh, over half of that number of women over 35, whereby the uh, government and the state of Israel actually encourages Baruch Hashem, the birth rate. And Israel has uh, one of the highest birth rates in the Western world, and the birth rate is that, um, and the IVF success part is a growth of 11% over 2015, and overall, the <coughs> Jewish population has doubled in Eretz Israel over the last 40 years. Over 6 million Jews living in Eretz Israel. I'd like to focus on one very interesting uh, point that comes out of the very beginning of this week's parasha. The Torah tells us that Yaakov was leaning. So he is on his way to Haram, satisfying his parents directed to go and marry a wife from um, one of his cousins, from Lavan's daughters. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu orchestrates that he comes to the place that will be in the future, the Mokam HaMikdash, Vayolen Sham, and he sleeps there, Kiva HaShemesh. And the Torah tells us, Vayitka HaMokom, literally he quote, chants upon the place. The Gemara tells us in Brachos, <coughs> that this is the source of Tzilat Arvis, the Mayrit, the evening prayer. The Gemara tells us in Brachos that there's a machlukes where the Tfilos stem from. The first opinion is that Rabbi Yossi Brabchalina, who says that Tfilos Avos Tiknon, the three prayers, Shachris, Mincha, and Mayrit, they were instituted by the Avos, Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, respectively. And the Gemara goes on to show, bringing Sukin, that Avram instituted Tfilah Shachris, Yitzchak instituted Silat Mincha, 
and Yaakov instituted Silas Meirut. Not only institute, but if you think about it, points out with Hirsch in a brilliant uh, analysis that Abraham lived a life of Shachris. What does that mean? Shachris can only be said in the morning while the sun is rising. And Abraham lived such a life. Basically, he, with all his tests, not only did he pass them all, but all <coughs> what Hashem had promised him came true. He was renowned, he was recognized, he was successful. And that Abraham lived a life of Shachris. Yitzchak already, you can only have a mincha when the sun is on its way down. So Yitzchak, while he too was successful, not to the same degree as his father, but never having to be there at Israel, was wealthy. However, <coughs> Yaakov is Myron. Why? Because <coughs> Yaakov lived a life of Myron. How so? He has one trouble. Yamcha Hashem Biyom Sora. Yaakov. Yaakov is associated with Golos. Yaakov goes into Golos, unlike his father, who never left Eretz Yisrael. Yaakov has to run away from Esau. Yaakov comes to Lavan. After 20 years, he is uh, connived and fooled by his um, father-in-law. And he goes back to Eretz Yisrael in the encounter with Esau, and then with Dina, and then with Yosef. And then down to it, Yaakov lives a life of Myron. My interesting question that I want to try to grapple with you is, how is it that the Gemara points out in Brachos, Chot, Zion, on the days, the Gemara shares a machlokes between Rabbi Gamliel and Rabbi Yeshua as to whether or not Myron is chova, an obligatory prayer, which is what Rabbi Gamliel says, or that Yeshua says that Myriv is Rishut. Now, Rishut literally means optional, but that's not how it is to be understood. We should not make the mistake that, well, if I'm the mood, no, nothing to do with in the mood. The Talmud tells us, for it's already been accepted upon ourselves as an obligatory prayer. So what does it mean, Rishut? To a certain extent, you could say that <coughs> Myrus is treated somewhat like a stepchild. What does that mean? It means, number one, there is no obligation of Smichus Gula at Myrus. What does that mean? It means that the person comes to shul, good reason, late for a Shachu's prayer in the morning, and they're about to say Shmona Esrei after he puts on his talents and tillin, so you can't, in the morning, jump right in and say Shemona Esrei and then say the Shema afterwards. No, you have to precede the davening, the Shemona Esrei, with the Shema and its brachos. Not so at Myrith. You come to Myrith a few minutes late, we're about to say Shemona Esrei, you can say Shemona Esrei, and then afterwards say the Shema and its brachos. Secondly, <coughs> you know that on Rosh Chodesh, in Shachris, what do we do in the shul? We give a bang on the table, a clap. That tells the people, oh, a reminder to say, Yalev Yavo. That's so at my rib. You're permitted to call out before the Shemona Esrei and interrupt 
for the purpose of prayer, which you can't even do in the morning. There is no chazorah sashat, no repetition of the Shemona Esrei at Myrid. So why might it be that Myrid does have this status as a quote-unquote Meshus? Now, to make it even <coughs> more sophisticated, what does that mean, Meshus? So the interesting Reb Chaim in his commentary on the Rambam explains the machlokes between Rambam and Raivat. What if a person didn't realize that he already davened Mincha? He davened Mincha early, Mincha Gedolma. And then uh, he's in the middle of Mincha Titana, later on Mincha, and he realized, oy, 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 I already davened Mincha. So what do you do? So one opinion is that you stop immediately. And the other opinion is no, you can continue the Shemona Esrei, but you're continuing it as a Tfilat Midava, which means it's a gift offering, which means that as long as you add something to the Shemona Esrei, that would be sufficient. What's the difference that you can't do it to Mincha, but you can do it to Myrit? And explains of Chaim, the answer is because Myrit in the first place was set up not as an obligatory prayer, it was set up as a Nidava to begin with, as a kind of Rishus. Now the question is, why? But again, it's Chova, it is obligatory today, but why the difference? So there's a beautiful piece of the Meshachachma found in Parshas Vayigash, where the Torah tells us that Hashem appears to Yaakov when he's in Beersheba, on the way going down to Mitzrayim, to begin the Golot of Mitzrayim. And the Torah says, Hashem appears to Yaakov, Bimaros Halayla, literally in the vision of the night. And points out the Meshachachma, that you only find Hashem appearing to Yaakov, quote, at nighttime here, as well as the beginning of this week's parasha, Vayachalom, Vayikat Yaakov, Yaakov wakes from his dream at nighttime. And the reason for this is because Hashem is appearing to Yaakov in Eretz Yisrael prior to his going into Chutzlaharz, prior to his going into Golos. And basically, the idea he brilliantly says is that normally, <coughs> Nevoah, Prophecy is only in Eretz Yisrael. However, as we see from the opening verse in the prophet Yechezkel, if you had prophecy in Eretz Yisrael, Yechezkel as well could have it in Chutzla'aret. So he compares the Meshachachma, Mayerid, to this kind of an idea that, after all, not only do our philos have as their origin, as we pointed out by the Yosef Rebchanina from the Avos, but our Tfilos come from the Karbonos. So our Shachris is corresponding to the Karbon Shachar that existed every morning without exception of the Beis Amigdash. Our Mincha corresponds to the Karbon Tomid Shal Shachar, Tobino Arbayan to the korban that was brought every afternoon. And what is Myris? Myris is once the korban was brought during the day, then by extension, you can have 
been uh, involving the rims, the fats of the carbonos that were brought during the day, by extension, you can have them at nighttime. Similarly, what you have here is as follows. The main thing we should realize is that Myriv is the prayer of Golos. Myriv is the prayer of the Jew going into exile. And exile is not the permanent state. It's an artificial condition of the Jewish people. We belong in our land. We belong within a, with the base of Mindosh. That is the ideal. And so just as the carbonos of nighttime is only because it's an extension during the day, so too our survival in Gullus is the extension of what we had in Eretz Yisrael, literally energizing the Gullus since it came from there. And so the way to do it is by connecting ourselves, and therefore our night, our Gullus, has to be an extension of the day of what life was like when we had Eretz Yisrael, when we had a base on Mizosh. And that is the powerful lesson of Myron being Rishus. Just as the Gullus, the exile that we're in, we pray, is going to quickly come to an end. Therefore, the prayer of Myriv does not have that same permanence as of a temporary nature because it's representative of the Gullus. And therefore, when we pray Myriv, we should understand that we are imbuing and taking into ourselves that which, please God, came before us the glory, the prominence, the presence of Hashem in Eretz Yisrael, and by keeping the Torah outside of Eretz Yisrael in the Golos, we're extending that to the Golos, reminding ourselves that, please God, in Hebrew, the Golos will come to an end, and therefore the significance of Myrith as a prayer of Golos will also Come to an end. He's God in Hava the Amenu. Shabbat Shalom to all. JM in the AM on this Friday morning hour of Shabbos. My thanks to Rabbi Yudin. It's always special to hear Rabbi Yudin, but extra special when he speaks with us from the Holy Land. It's Erev Shabbos Parshas Vayetze with candle lighting time at 4.11 on this Erev Shabbos. 4.11 is candle lighting time here in the New York area. Wednesday is Haftet November, the 29th of November. Uh, you have until Wednesday to find out why it's such a significant date in Jewish history, especially modern Jewish history. Speaking of modern Jewish history, for us, one of the historic events that took place vis-a-vis uh, the Nahum Siegel Network and the Jewish Unity Initiative took place exactly one year ago, believe it or not. In fact, in the background... This is a combination of Daniela Javiel, the great violinist, and uh, a young man named Izzy, a youngster who is um, himself getting to be an expert on the violin. They met together in Venice on that special Saturday night 
when we were there with the Jewish Unity Initiative one year ago, and I just wanted to revisit Venice one year later. Such incredible memories um, of that entire encounter. And the two people are with me live via telephone to help us remember. The first is in Venice, as you might suspect, and that's our friend Tali Basali, who lives in Venice, was one of the key people in terms of helping us set things up a year ago and uh, would welcome any visitors from around the world who would love to meet a wonderful Jewish family in Venice. They live right outside the quote-unquote Jewish ghetto in Venice. Tali Shalom, welcome to JM in the AM. Shalom, what an introduction, my goodness. (laughs) It's such an honor to be with you, and it was such an honor to have you here last year. Greatly appreciate that. And with us, of course, is our good friend and chairman of the Jewish Unity Initiative, Simon Jacob, who also enjoyed an amazing time in Venice. Simon, shalom to you. Shalom, brachan, nachum, and tali. Unbelievable. I really uh, miss your hospitality. It was, it was amazing. <laughs> it certainly was. Uh, tali, it was a year ago, a year ago, where we filled the uh, the Jewish ghetto with an incredible Malava Malka, a wonderful concert, great Jewish music, a good feeling of camaraderie. You meet a lot of people from around the world who converge on Venice on a regular basis. How do you view what happened one year ago at the Jewish Unity Initiative? Well, I was just, um, I, was, I just met some people who were there at the concert, and we were reminiscing about how, what a wonderful evening it was and how together we all felt. And, you know, it was, it was just really a, an amazing, amazing evening, an amazing weekend. And uh, we personally thoroughly enjoyed it as well. Yeah, it was certainly a magical night, that's for sure. And you don't get, just to make it clear to everybody, you don't usually get uh, too many uh, uh, too many Jewish music performances in Venice, Italy. No, some of those people had probably never heard a lot, especially <laughs> modern Jewish music. Right, that's so that sure. was really a um, a lovely window for them to be able to look in and see that. When you're in Venice and you're there, of course, as a resident, um, does the are, are, as you live 2017, it must be very difficult, from what I remember, the sights and sounds. To um uh, to not uh, uh, drift back into history uh, with what you're surrounded by and the uh, and the buildings and the way they are and how how old things are and how uh, how beautiful they are in terms of their uh, uh, in terms of their grandeur it must be this amazing mix for you to walk those streets and to live in that area and really have so much of the past together with your present. I'll be honest, for me personally, it's not that much different than Yerushalayim. There's a lot of past there, too. That's it's, true. It's um, deep, heavy past, but in, you know, uh, in a mixed way, not always maybe in the happiest term, in terms of history, but um, a good, heavy uh, responsibility, which I think is, is a good thing. Um, we try very hard not to be pulled back into the past, but to remember the past in order to live the future in the best possible way. Understood. Tali Basali is with us from Venice. Simon Jacob with us as well. Um, Have you met a lot of people, Jewish people from around the world in the last year? I'm trying to get a perspective on uh, how popular a destination the Jewish ghetto is on a regular basis. Well, um, it does happen to be very popular. I can tell you that when I moved here 12 years ago, um, going to Israel to visit family was a major undertaking because there were no direct flights wow. at all. Um, today, I can tell you that several years ago, Elal has a Venice-Tel Aviv direct 
flight. And EasyJet now also has a Venice Tel Aviv direct flight. And so we now have people coming in just to visit for like six days a week, which is crazy. So we're actually totally inundated like never before, which is really, really nice. <laughs> That's true. It's amazing how the world gets smaller and smaller. Simon Jacob, the uh, chairman of the Jewish Unity Initiative, he was there. In fact, I sent Simon earlier this week of a video not only showing him enjoying last year's event, but actually video him videoing last year's event and being put to work there on the spot on that Saturday night in the ghetto. Simon, what are your thoughts as you think about Venice one year later? I, You know, I have this memory of Daniel Aviel playing the violin um, and uh, on, but on a g- gondola right. going <laughs> yeah. down one of the canals <laughs> and people cheering from the top of uh, one of the bridges as he, as he went underneath, playing away on his violin. And, and the, between the singing and the, the violin, it was, it was amazing. But that evening was so special. You know, being in the ghetto which is the source of the word ghetto for Jews in the world. I mean, ghetto is a term that has such, uh, such connotation to our history, and this was the source of the word ghetto. And being there and celebrating um, modern Jews from a modern perspective uh, especially since I'd come from Israel right. to be there, and we had people from Israel and America and, and, and from all over, as well as tourists and as well as residents you know, who, who live in the ghetto, all celebrating and singing arm-in-arm arm together in this ghetto yeah. was just, just so, so special. Yeah, frankly, I didn't realize just how much spirit and unity... Uh, certainly feeling of unity, we brought to that event until I saw the video this week, and I said, wow, this is something. Jews converging on Venice from all around the world and uh, meeting the residents there and the guests who are who are visiting and just everyone having a, a wonderfully inspiring time. It was something unique and incredible. We'll continue to recommend to everybody out there to uh, to visit places uh, like, uh, like Venice, and we're going to continue to try to bring the stories of Jewish history through the Jewish Unity Initiative to our listeners because it was just a unique and incredible uh, time in Venice, Italy. Um, uh, Tali, what's happening for Hanukkah? Are people who are in Venice in the Jewish community going to feel that the uh, that the Hanukkah holiday is on? Well, um, within the Jewish community, there usually is, um, you know, one night of some sort of celebration. And, of course, Chabad kindly reminds us always by erecting a huge Hanukkah in the ghetto. Right. And um, we're thinking about having a nice big party and inviting lots of people. Yeah, well, if you need us to come back, we'll certainly consider yeah. it. There are any visitors, if there are any visitors who are your listeners, they're very welcome. <laughs> yes. It, it, I can't tell you how inspiring and pumped up we all felt coming back from there. It was It was just a wonderful, wonderful trip. Yeah, it gave us a big a gave us a big boost of energy, Simon. It gave us a big boost of energy too. You were very yeah. inspiring for us as well. Well, thank you very, very much. Remembering Venice a year later 
with uh, Tali Basali, who's in Venice, and you should visit her when you get there, her and her family. And uh, Simon Jacob, of course, the uh, chairman of the Jewish Unity Initiative. Simon, as, as he does most of his spare time, is thinking about where the next stop is on the Jewish Unity Initiative. And soon enough, we... I just want to tell you, Nahum, that um, I don't want to be cute about it. I am in Venice as well, but I'm in Venice, California. Oh, is that funny? <laughs> That's funny. So it's really kind of funny. And it's, but, it's, okay. it's no joke, folks. Simon's really speaking to us from California this morning. From Venice. Yeah. From Cali, Venice. Right. Tadara, yes. both of you. Tali, Shabbat Shalom. Thanks for joining us. Shabbat Shalom from Venezia. Best regards, Shabbat everybody. Shalom. And Simon Todaraba and Shabbat Shalom to you. Shabbat Shalom, Barach. Pretty, Take care. Pretty amazing. Two key people. Tali really helped uh, set things up a year ago. And I think her family was the symbol of just how happy we can make a community um, and how inspiring things can be when the Jewish Unity Initiative arrives in a community. And Simon, I mean, those of you who are regular listeners know how, uh, how his leadership and vision has been a tremendous force for us. In, um, in terms of visiting different places, whether it's Houston, whether it's Israel, whether it's Venice, whether it's Paris, and the whole list of places that we'd love to get to to bring to our listeners and viewers uh, through audio and video around the world. So big yes, And to the entire team, a lot of people from this team, from JM and the AM and the Nahum Siegel Network, were involved last year. To the entire team, we say, hey, look back with tremendous gratitude and look back with tremendous Satisfaction. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. More coming up at JM in the AM.
J.M. in the A.M., that's Eitan Freilich with um, the Hayuli Meshisa here at J.M. in the A.M. Reminder, this Sunday, Matis speaks with author Barbara Shaw. Uh, the book is My Jerusalem Book, an insider's guide to Jerusalem. Again, author Barbara Shaw, My Jerusalem Book, an insider's guide to Jerusalem with Matis on J.M. Sunday. He's on 7 until 9 Eastern Time Live this coming Sunday at the Nahum Siegel Network. Journeys at J.M. in the A.M. Shining through the trees Another week's gone by Become a memory So throw away your hammer There's nothing left to do Go on home and find a gift That's waiting there for you Oh, it's time to say good job I'm gonna spend a day together with the Holy One Say a special blessing on a cup that's filled with wine Man and his creator, it's a very special sign Your candles will be burning Songs of Shabbos Well into the night So throw away your hammer There's nothing left to do Go on home and find a gift That's waiting there for you Oh, it's time to say good Shabbos Cause all your work is done Spend the day together 
is a very special sign. Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NachumSegal.com. On the NachumSegal Network and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Well, I thank everybody for tuning in and being part of this amazing radio experience, as I like to say. Monday morning, we're back starting at 6 a.m. Between now and then, Naomi Nachman is next. Naomi Nachman is next. Table for two with Eliezer Franklin of Pella Poultry and Rory Weisberg of Full and Free. That's next here at the Nachum Siegel Network. The Arab Shabbos Show, Mark Zamek, sponsored by our friends at Kedem Goes, supersized edition from 10 a.m. Eastern Time all the way until 3 p.m. Eastern Time today. How amazing is that on the Arab Shabbos Show? Tomorrow night, Saturday Night Siegel with Avrami. Featuring Rabbi Eliezer Zwickler on um, Sunday, Matis, with JM Sunday between 7 and 9. Sunday night, 7 p.m., Court Report with Elliot Weiselberg. Have a wonderful Shabbos, great weekend, everybody. Until Monday, Nachum Sigal reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future. (laughs) 